American craft beer is no longer simply a trend. The number of U.S. breweries increased again in 2016 by 17%. This week on Noon Edition, our crew was out in the field having a conversation with Bloomington's brewers about how they shape global influences to form truly original and local products. What I think is so cool about not just the Bloomington craft beer scene, but nationwide, is that while it is very competitive, you guys seem to really help each other out when you can and work together. You always collaborate every year on a beer for Beer Fest, um, this year Ship Hop Hooray. Can you talk a little bit about why you do this every year and um, tell us a little bit about this year's beer? I think everybody just likes to hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that certainly wasn't the reason. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's funny because... And everybody's like, ooh, a collab, what do you, you guys all work? And I'm like, no, we go to Upland and drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, Upland does all the work because it's yeah. their facility. Like, it's like yeah, an instruction crew, one yeah. person's working and six people are standing around watching. Yeah. How do you come up with every year? D- didn't you do a drone beer? Was that last year or the <laughs> yeah. year before? Yeah. Two years ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, it's been kind of fun, you know. Gosh, we didn't have this many breweries in Bloomington, you know, 10 years ago or so. It was just us and, and BBC were in here. and. Um, I think it was once we had a couple of breweries started to throw out the idea of making a beer together. Um, it's like lunches at the pub, kind of talking, drinking beer, talking, brainstorming. Yeah. Um, what do you guys want to make? What do we all have on tap? Is there something different? Bouncing ideas like, off each other and like, yeah. ooh, what? A, and you always try and go unusual with it too. Like we've done hoppy the last couple of years, and this year we decided not to. And, but then the lavender smoked malt was. Uh, I think one's idea on that one, like, hey, uh, Sugar Creek Mall up in Lebanon got that for us. They, they've yeah, got a lot of fun stuff. So the idea like, is really to try to stand out, you know, where we all have something that represents us as a, as a whole, and how do we incorporate what represents each individual brewery into a final product? And I think that that uh, really comes through on a lot of these collaboration beers that we do, whether it's the hops that we use or a special ingredient like the uh, palmetto honey or the lavender smoked malt or just, you know, lighting a ship on fire and sinking it in the hot bath, you know? <laughs> just like, little things like that can really, uh, you know, make, make for a really unique uh, beer and kind of express each individual personality of the brewers as well as the brewery they represent. Yeah. So if, if you're just tuning in, we're doing Noon Edition live today from Yogi, so we can't take any calls, but you can tweet your questions at Noon Edition. We're also taking questions from here in the audience. Can you just tell us really quickly, you each did a different variation on that beer, and I think it'd be interesting to see the different approaches um, that you took. Pete, I don't know if you want to yeah, start. Yeah, so our cask, uh, so we did one individual cask uh, at each location. Uh, ours, we infused with lavender, jasmine, and rose petals, and then uh, blended a little bit of our farmhouse into yeah. that. So it was really, really nice. floral, uh, just bouquet in that beer. Yeah, we, uh, the Bloomington Brewing Company, did a lemon, lime, and orange zest uh, variety. So it went really well with the honey and the smoked malt. It was great. At the uh, at the tap, we did uh, hibiscus and a little extra honey in there as well. It came out nice, beautiful, pinkish color and a little extra tartness in there. It was really pleasant. Uh, Function is doing oak. Uh, mine's going to be tapped tonight, so we nice. have the joy of a firkin. Well, like joy and fault of it is you never know what's going to until you tap that thing. You never know what it's going to taste like. <laughs> um, but I, th- I think the oak's going to really play well with it. Yeah. It'd be terrifying. At Quaffon, we did, we also did lemon zest, and it it meshed well with the uh, the honey flavors and the smoke. Um, you had citra really, hop in there too, didn't you? Yeah, we did. We hopped it with some citra, and you know it, it all played well together. And there was an infinite number of things we could have done to it. I would have loved to 
done 50 firkins and yeah, it's you a, know played around. It's a good, easy drinking beer. It's, it's a really good base beer. That I think we're all really happy with. And yeah, Patrick was emailing the other day saying that's his shift beer this week. It's, yeah, and that's that's become mine too. Yeah, it's you, just, can't, you can't go too wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's it's not hoppy, but it's it's a very pleasant, easy drinking beer with mm -hmm. enough going on. You kind of as it warms up a little bit, you get a little bit of that smoke. I think it's going to be a good introduction to smoke. Yeah. For, yeah. for a lot of people because it's it's, it is really subtle and yeah. some smoked beers you can get that yeah. it's just too heavy. This, this will be a really nice yeah. introduction. This is more, it's more incense and floral and mm -hmm. uh, herbaceous than, uh, than some of the smoked it's beers. It's not liquid bonfire. Like yeah. 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 We're going to have to take a break here in a minute, but before we do, I want to get to a question from someone who's here at Yogi's. And they're just, um, you all have kind of alluded to this, but do you find that Bloomington is large enough to support so many different breweries and is the competition mostly friendly? I think so. You guys are nodding in yeah. agreement. Com that competition yeah. is way friendly. And it, I mean, it's it, it's what I tell everybody. It's it's us versus them, and them is Bud Miller Coors. I mean, that's the big. They still control an ungodly amount of the market now, and it, it's you know we all we all play nice together. We're all in it together. I yeah. mean, what's good for for us, it's good for all of the breweries that are local. I mean, we have a, a huge conference coming up uh, in. Washington DC for the the world actually it's a craft brewers conference and it's a worldwide seminar learning session and that's where so many of us meet each other and get to hang out swap ideas um, you know and share things that work things that didn't and uh, it really does build a really strong brotherhood both on a local level because I'm probably going to be seeking these guys out and at the same time meeting people that I've never met before and building a brotherhood and, and relationship there as well. Yeah, there's only so many tap lines and shelf space at liquor stores for beer, and uh, in Bloomington, uh, we don't have any competition with each other. We're all our own unique brewery, and we all come out with unique products from Upland Sours to Steve's. People and beers. people talk <laughs> about bubble, 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 and and I, yeah, you know, Bloomington can't support three breweries that want to be the next, you know, Sierra Nevada, but Bloomington can. To support a ton more places like my size that are, I'm just serving at my establishment, and you know, I mean, we could have five or ten more of those easily. I mean, it's yeah, there's there's plenty of growth. I mean, Indiana's like six percent market share right now for craft, and you know, places like Portland, I think, it's at like fifty percent. Wow. So yeah, so six percent of people drink drinking are drinking beer. Six percent of yeah. them are, are drinking craft beer. Six percent of beer drinkers. Yeah, so okay. are drinking craft beers. So that's it is a huge opportunity for Indiana uh, throughout the state. You know, we think there's a lot more folks that can drink more more craft beer, <laughs> locally made craft beer. But I agree with what all these guys are saying. Um, you know, um, all the businesses can be be nice and healthy here. Um, and the, the community here really is very supportive of local craft beer too. So it's wonderful to see wherever wherever you go in town, we see our beers on, you see you know us on the shelf. It's a wonderful support system here in Bloomington. Okay. Uh, you're listening to a special noon edition today. We're coming to you live from Yogi's where we're talking to five brewers from here in Bloomington. We'll be Welcome back to Noon Edition. Today we are coming to you live from Yogi's, and today we're talking about craft beer. And we have five brewers here. We have Upland represented, Quap on. We have the Tap and Function, and I'm sorry, we also have Bloomington Brewing Company. So thank you all for being here today. And we're actually going to start by just going straight to somebody here in the audience who has a question for you all. Go ahead. Hi, 
my name's Amy, and I was just wondering, I've been noticing that hazy, unfiltered beers are becoming more and more popular, and so I was just wondering if that's um, difficult to achieve in your breweries, and if that's an effect that you're seeking out and trying to go for. Thank you. Uh, I'll start this one out. Um, years ago at the Bloomington Brewing Company, we found out that the industry wanted clear beer. Customers wanted clear beer because before you even smell a beer, they, saw, they even, thought something was wrong with it if it wasn't. Yeah, if it was cloudy, it, it kind of seemed like it was uh, an off-putting. Um, if it's off-putting visually, you typically don't want to eat it or drink it. So we made a, a huge effort to have clear beer because before you smell it or taste it, you're obviously seeing it with your eyes. And uh, now the trend has kind of moved back towards some of these hazier beers because it brings them out quite a bit of flavor into the beer, having a hazier beer where some of the flavors haven't been stripped out of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting style. I'm, I come from uh, a brewery that was very much in that same time period when BBC opened in the early, uh, late 90s. And um, we were very much behind the clear beer kind of theory. And uh, coming from the East Coast, which is where a lot of these beers are being produced, especially around the Philadelphia and New England area, uh, I've kind of been inspired to, to move in that direction against my moral standards. And uh, we actually just <laughs> put out a moral our, issue. It, oh, no, it's, yeah, for me it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Easy but, beers uh, are for heathens. <laughs> well, you know. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we recently put one on tap and, you know, tongue-in-cheek called it industry standard. Uh, we're still working on the haze aspect, and that's something that a lot of people think is very hop-driven. And while hops do contribute a lot of it, a lot of it is the malt and uh, the, the yeast that are, is used for developing this style. And as much as I used to believe that it was kind of lazy brewing or just you know trying to make something cloudy deliberately, there really is a method to this style. And I kind of find myself challenged to. I'd say it's hard to keep it, it hazy. Yeah. That's the key. Like that's what I mean, we're you finding. Can, a, a beer can start out hazy, and then the longer it sits in the keg and cold, everything starts to fall out. Um, I. There's certain Hefe breweries, I think, that they store the kegs upside down, yeah. and then they yeah. roll them around before they yeah. serve them to kick that back up. Yeah, so the wheat's our, one of them. yeah, I mean, at Upland, um, we've been making a hazy beer since we've opened up, which is our our, uh, our wit beer, Belgian-style wit beer, which is uh, intended to be served cloudy or hazy with yeast yeast in suspension. Because um, it adds a flavor, the yeast. Yeah, does. So that, that's part of it, and like uh, Jared was saying about the malt that you use can contribute to different levels of haze. Um, and we're in the same category. It really depends on the style that you're trying to make. At Upland, we're not, you know, opposed to a hazy New England IPA. I mean, they're very uh, flavorful, and um, it's just there's a, different breweries that have different philosophies. And you'll talk to some brewers, and they they are very much against this whole, you know, hazy beer because as brewers, we're trained to <laughs> clarify and, and have stability in beer, and you want, you know, typically a haze will contribute to you know, a shorter shelf life and things like that. Um, but we're, we're not opposed to any of that. Some of our sour beers actually have a, a decent amount of haze just through that process. But um, at the end of the day, you know, as long as the beer tastes great and it's delicious, um, there's no, I mean, there's no arguing against that. Drink it blindfolded so you can tell a difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It looks like we actually have a question on Twitter from someone, Michael, um, and this may apply more to the larger breweries, but he wants to know how will future automation technologies impact employment in the beverage industry moving forward? Robots. 
robots. Come on, you guys. Sounds like you've been quiet for a minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You guys employing robots? You you guys not yet. Yeah. No, I'm a huge capacity no. now. Uh, you know, robots can't. They don't have that human feel, and that's really important with beer. Uh, you've got to be able to taste it and look at it and make a decision. Um, so, sure, even, I mean, the, even the best sensory. I mean, they talk about that. The right. human palate's way better than right. right. I mean, a robot might be beer. able to bottle beer, um, but again, the bottler is going to, something's going to happen, and you're going to want someone there who can make a decision. So I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, there, oh, there's, you know, there was the Industrial Revolution, and the people went from working 20 hours a day to then having to service the machines and somewhat becoming slaves to the machines. And with brewing, there are automated systems, but there's always going to have to be somebody specialized to, to operate those machines. And, and I'd like to think... It's a taste the beer, man. Right? You've got to taste it. A robot cannot taste it. And give you an accurate feedback. That means it won't, it won't drink your product. <laughs> I'm not opposed to serving a robot over 20, 21 years of age. So that question makes me think about something that I always wonder with craft beers. How do you actually define a craft beer? Is it still a craft beer if one of these bigger beer companies buys it? I think there's two ways to really describe it. One is the definition that the Brewers Association sets out that is numerically based, of which I can't tell you okay. what those numbers are right now. I apologize. Uh, and then the other is, you know, well, how hands-on is it? You know, some people will, will say, look around and say, oh, well, this, this brewery has a you know, two-barrel system like Steve, and they're the most local, and they're the most craft over anyone else. But so much of it, I think, is just the creativity of the brewery, um, you know, the, the ingredients that they're using, the, the quality of the ingredients, the, uh, as well as the volume that they're producing, and then the, the passion and the... Uh, you know, the intellect that's put into it as well. Uh, Anheuser-Busch and other breweries have some of the best breweries on the planet working for them, but they're producing a, a very staple product year-round that you can go anywhere and get the same thing. And but one it's of one Exactly. And one of the things that makes craft so interesting is that I can produce a Munich Dunkel, Nick can produce a Munich Dunkel, Pete, Steve, Chama, everyone can produce the same style, and every one of them will taste different. And because we all have our own take on it, we all have our own thoughts and ideas as to what that style should be. Whereas when you're drinking uh, a macro brew of some type, you're going to get what they tell you is the ideal version of that style. And that, that to me is kind of what craft is, is your interpretation and your feelings and, and your passion put in, no matter how automated it is, no matter how hands-on it is, where you're located, what your distribution cycle and, and radius is, it's what you put into it as the brewer or owner. The, the lines seem to be getting a little blurred. There originally was macro versus craft, and now it seems like, uh, not so much in Indiana, but in the nation, it seems like some of the bigger breweries are so large that they've become kind of the macro of craft. And uh, it's interesting to see how they stepped up on such a large scale. The uh, I wouldn't say they lose the essence of craft, but we're definitely very much hands-on with our product, quite a bit more than than some of the biggest breweries in the United States, even as craft brewers. You've been nodding a lot, Pete. You agree? Yeah, I agree with a lot of the stuff. I mean, it's it's you know the artisanal nature of what we do. We're using unique ingredients and our ability to innovate and do different things very quickly. Um, there's not many macro breweries, I don't think, that are doing 60 to 100 different recipes a year. 
or hey, in two months we're going to make a new beer. At Upland, we, we plan, we're not as nimble, I would say, maybe next week we're going to make a new beer, but uh, like Steve over here. But um, yeah, it's, it's the artisanal nature of it. It's, oh, it's, it's morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there are days. It's morning. I start water going, and it's like, yeah, what yeah. am I going to make today? Yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting time right now. There's just a lot, of, a lot of things going on, and I think within the industry, there's a lot of conversations just about what does it really mean, and how do we define it? So. I don't know if there's a perfect answer to that right now. It's, it's a lot of change going on. Yeah, I think the definition's going away. I think even the word craft is, it's getting thrown around a lot now, you know? I mean, you, you get craft everything now, and it, mm -hmm. I don't know, it feels like, yeah, it feels like it means less now, you know? Um, yeah, even micro, you know, oh, you're a microbrewery. Like, well, what does that even mean anymore, you know? I mean, there's micro distilleries and micro pickle makers, and there's, you know, these things out there now, and, you know, these words are, uh, part of it is the popularity of the industry that's driving this, like, the words being used elsewhere, you know. It's like, oh, there's a craft brewery, then I can open a craft whatever, and it, it it appeals to people. But It looks like we do have another Twitter question. This one's from Maxwell, and you were talking about, you know, recipes, and he wants to know, I'm sure this varies from place to place, but how do you develop your recipes and come up with your ideas? Chama, I don't know if you want to... For us, it's usually a collaborative uh, process. You know, well, just kind of uh, like inside your brewery. Yeah, inside the brewery. Um, you know, we we have a lot of seasonals that we do from year to year. Um, we will revisit them every every year and kind of make the same. But typically, uh, you know, we'll just kind of throw an idea out, and everybody will go off and do research and kind of come back to the table and say, "Well, this is what I think we want." and you know, it's but it's very uh, it's a group effort for us. Somebody may one person might have the idea, but then it's going to be pretty much all the brewers are going to have a say in how it actually gets executed. Steve, it seems like you have a little bit more freedom because of the nature of being a little bit smaller. You can experiment a little bit more. Yeah, and it. But again, like it's. I, you know, I listen to this, how you're talking internally with your brewers. That would be kind of nice. I'm the only guy. Right. So I'm the brewer. I'm the cellarman. I, yeah. Um, so, yeah, when I come up with an idea, and like, sure, in my head it may seem okay. <laughs> but I have no one to bounce those ideas off of. But, yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I've got a lot of freedom to just root through the basement, my dark, dank, hot basement that I brew in and just... <laughs> Find ingredient. I mean, there's there's days I go and I just look and I'm going, I'm, that's the ingredient I'm going to use today, and I'll design a beer around it. You know, it's like that malts. Like, no. so. What about you, Jared? For me, it's it's a combination of things. It's uh, it's flavor driven. My uh, my background is culinary arts, so I, I've worked with food since I was 14 and in the restaurant industry. And um, for me, I, I like to think about flavors and what's going on in. The trend category right now in craft beer and what people are drinking, and then at that point I kind of look to my brewers and say, "Well, what do you guys want? And how are you guys thinking?" And, and we'll get some ideas from them. And uh, at that point, I ask my bartenders, my and sometimes my service staff, and say, "Well, what are what are guests looking for? What are they asking for?" And we try to kind of compile something that gets me what uh, what I want, you know, flavor-wise. Gets uh, you know, and then at the same time gets the right product into our guests' hands and what they're really looking for because when you're brewing professionally and not at home anymore, it kind of becomes, well, what 
what is the populace looking for? And then, of course, we'll do something fun for ourselves. You know, we may brew something that we know may not uh, go as easily over with our guests, but at the same time, it's just a lot of fun and really enjoyable to brew and teaches us a thing or two about the, the process at the same time. Yeah, I think for the Bloomington Brewing Company, it, it starts out where everybody's had a classic Irish stout, everybody's had a good English bitter, and uh, you kind of know what goes into those beers. Um, but when it comes to coming up with a new recipe at our brewery, we kind of use unique ingredients. Um, there might be a new kind of hop or a new kind of malt, and you try and find what that malt or hop is capable of. And obviously, you want a beer to be um, unique to your brewery. And uh, classic styles are great. If you can nail a classic style, that's fantastic. But you want to somehow set yourself apart from the competition or obviously everyone in Bloomington is in competition it's kind of a brewing brethren but uh, yeah um, just recently we had our assistant brewer Jim say that he tried a fantastic beer that was a pale ale that had zero bitterness to it and that kind of set in motion us trying to come up with a, a pale ale that had zero bitterness so we identified when we should be adding the hops and if we have a beer that doesn't have bitterness, how does that change the perception of malt flavor and alcohol? So um, we have a pilot system, and that helps to be able to brew a five-gallon batch. If it turns out how we like it, we can, um, we can brew a larger scale. If we don't like it, we can tweak it, and uh, it, it helps, you know, setting yourself apart. Pete, right. I want to let... I want to let Pete weigh in here real quick before we have to take another break. Yeah, um, so at Upwind, um, we actually have a collaborative approach uh, similar to Quafon, but um, we have a handful of brewers that um, have really great experience with re developing recipes. Um, we actually have a very small pilot system um, that's a really nice uh, scale. If you're a home brewer, this would be like the Cadillac of home brewing systems, but it's uh, about 10 gallon batches. Sabco, Sabco uh, yeah. Brew Magic. Uh, we encourage everybody in the brewing staff to brew on that thing and come up with recipes. But um, pretty much all of the clean beers that we're making, and maybe some of our sour beers, we will brew small batches on that. So um, of the, say, 50 or 60 different beers we make in a year, um, all the new beers that we do have been produced on this small pilot system. Um, and we draw inspiration um, for those beers from all over, I mean, from other brewers. Um, other breweries, um, home brewers. I mean, there's a, a lot of them, myself included, we all started out home brewing and we've had recipes that we've brewed in the past or played around with. And, and yeah. for us, the fun part is how do you scale, you know, a, a home brew size recipe, a 10 gallon batch into a large batch. Um, so a lot of our processes are aligned around that. How do we scale up? Um, but we'll start a pilot system, uh, maybe do a single batch for the pub, um, for here, our restaurant here in, in Bloomington. Um, and do a draft-only batch if that goes really well. Maybe do a couple of those a year, and our best winners we put into packages in the bottles and ship them out. So um, we do have a pretty lengthy process with all that. But um, on the sour beer side, um, we'll take an individual barrel and infuse it with a fruit or a spice. Just do one barrel at a time. If we like it, we'll do larger batches from there too. So um, a lot of you know homebrew methods. You know, using carboys, using small vessels to experiment. I mean, that's. That is the funnest part of what we do, I think, is, is being able to experiment and explore unique ingredients that you never play around with before. That's, that's brewing at its simplest. Yeah. That's really taking it back to the basics. Yeah. yeah, we do. We do have to take a short break. This Aww. is Noon Edition. We're coming live from Yogi's, and we get back. Even if you think you don't like beer, these guys are going to tell you one that that you might like. So this is Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
16 minutes before 1 o'clock. It's an unusual noon edition, Joe Getz. It's live from Yogi's. They're talking about craft beer. Sounds like a fun atmosphere going on. Uh, God, I wish I were there. But you know what? I'm glad to be here with you. We are... Don't lie, John. Okay. <laughs> Pretty glad to be here with you. This is our... Uh, only Friday of the Spring Membership Drive, when we come to you and ask you to help pay for these programs you value. Local news coverage, in-depth reporting and analysis, and national news as well, with NPR's Morning Edition and All Things Considered. Your pledge also pays for midday music and uh, weekend entertainment and all the good stuff you also get on WFIU too. You make it possible with your gift of support. WFIU.org or 800-662-3311. It's getting to be crunch time here during Noon Edition today. We started the hour with a five-pledge goal. We have one caller on the line right now. Hopefully that caller is giving a pledge. So assuming they are, that still means we need four more here in the next 15 minutes, which is a tall order. But, uh, you know, we're talking about tall ones right now here on the program. <laughs> Indeed we are. Ha-ha, ba-dum-ching. Uh, thanks, I'll be here all week. <laughs> Uh, so please uh, help us uh, get to that goal for Noon Edition today. If you enjoy the program, if you enjoy it, even when it's here in the studio at WFIU, uh, boy, I'm just trying to think of some recent topics. We've talked everything about health care in Indiana and how uh, undoing the national health care law might affect things. Uh, we've talked about, uh, of course, the, going up to the election, all about uh, Indiana's politics. It's been a crazy 18 months or so in Indiana so politics. So much going on in Indiana and in this part of Indiana as well. In fact, we have Becca Costello talking about her experiences with reporting on a topic that was discussed just in the last couple of weeks on Noon Edition. My name is Becca Costello. I'm the digital manager and a reporter in the newsroom at WFIU. And I'm also the newscaster during All Things Considered in the afternoons. So locally here in Bloomington, Mayor John Hamilton announced a, a plan to annex a bunch of county property into the city, which is a really big deal. It hasn't happened in a few decades. So that's a story we've been following. Um, it, it impacts about 9,000 county acres. Um, so that's something that impacts not just the city of Bloomington residents, but people in Monroe County as well. Um, and really locally, uh, we're the only news source that provides that in-depth coverage that's not behind a paywall. So residents in the county and in the city can really get all the details they need about the public meetings that have been happening and what they can do to find out if they're impacted by it. And they can access that free anytime on our website. Not behind a paywall. Very important uh, to mention that. And we that's right. We don't have a paywall. Anyone can go to our website or turn on the radio and get WFIU content and not have to pay anything for it. The question is, is that really how you want to play it? You know that we are very, very reliant on listener funds. They, it's the lion's share of our budget comes from $10, 12 $15 a month pledges from people just like you. So if you're listening and maybe you've been listening for a while and haven't yet given – Think about how much it's worth to you. Is it worth $10 a month? I think it is. WFIU.org, 800-662-3311. WFIU.org to pledge online. 800-662-3311 to make a call to our phone bank, talk with a friendly volunteer, and just knock that pledge out in two minutes. We want to thank Frank Nikos in Unionville. Great to hear from Monroe County, outside of Bloomington, folks from all around making pledges during this drive keeping the program going strong on WFIU. And it's our Pet Friday, so we have uh, not only people to thank and their hometowns as usual, but we have their dogs and cats as well. Looks as if we are at 
52 dogs so far and 48, 42 cats for those keeping score at home. Yeah, so we're getting close to 100 cats and dogs total. So, uh, boy, but you know, when I, I, I was on the air uh, on, on WFIU till to the 10 o'clock this morning, and cats were, like, way behind. I, I didn't think there was any way they could come back. And cats, uh, they are coming back like gangbusters. So, uh, cat people... Be part of the cat resurgence here on Pet Friday. We've got some great thank you gifts as well, including that uh, for $5 a month, the uh, the collar chain that says iHeartWFIU. John is actually wearing one right now on his uh, collar. It looks great, it's John. It's radio. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he's he's looking at his phone now thinking, can we throw it back to Yogi's yet, Joe? <laughs> but uh, for, anyway, that's a $5 a month uh, thank you gift. And then for $10 a month, we have uh, a choice of books. If you're a cat lover, then you may well enjoy a treasury for cat lovers. Fascinating facts, touching stories, witty word games, and funny drawings. Or you might want to go local, especially if you're a dog person. Campus Canines, the dogs of Indiana University, it's 150 photos showcasing canines across the IU campus at iconic locations. Either of those available for your $10 a month investment in Noon Edition here on WFIU. Is that like humans of New York but dogs of IU? Probably of? something like All that. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like a nice book. And if you're a dog lover, it looks like a great uh, coffee table accessory. $10 a month. If you get that, getting that book, but you'll also be supporting your local public radio station at the same time. You know, we're joking around a lot here, John, but really it is serious business. Public media, we're not sure what's going to happen with federal funding. Uh, it's very much up in the air right now. Your pledge is really more important than ever make at a, this very moment. Make a pledge and make it possible as we continue with Noon Edition at WFIU.org, or you can pledge by phone at 800 662 3311 as Noon Edition continues now on Public Radio for Indiana. Welcome back to Noon Edition. Today we are live at Yogi's on the lunch hour. Quite a few folks in here. Today we are talking about craft beer, and we have several brewers from Bloomington here. We have Chama Henry from Quaff On. We have Pete Batuli from Upland, Jared May from The Tap, Steve Llewellyn from Function, and Nick Banks from Bloomington Brewing Company. We're not taking calls today, but you can tweet your questions at Noon Edition. One question that I promised folks that we would get to after the break is just, if you say you don't like beer, you were saying earlier, Pete, that you just haven't tried the right beer. So <laughs> how do you introduce people to beer who say, it's not really for me? Yeah, um, yeah, I think a lot of folks have a certain opinion about what beer is, and I think the American craft brewers are kind of changing that definition um, year over year. Um, there's a lot of different beer styles um, that... Uh, can be really well related to maybe a different beverage that you're drinking. So uh, one example I like to talk about is our sour beers. So uh, we find that a lot of wine drinkers, if you really love wine, um, that has a little bit lower acidity, some more fruit flavors, uh, obviously like grapes, uh, different berry flavors. Um, there are sour beers that are made that are barrel aged in wine barrels um, for up to one to three years of aging. And they develop these really nice tart uh, flavors and, and we will age them on fruits for up to three months. So we have a raspberry sour beer um, that is completely different than uh, a Pilsner or you know what people typically would think of a beer. So um, there's just uh, barrel-aged beers uh, that can really um, introduce a totally different flavor that you wouldn't expect from beer. So that's 
So if you're a wine drinker, then try some sours. Um, I think you might find them pretty enjoyable. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, when I was waiting tables back in the day, I'd, we would have guests that would come in and say, oh, I, I only like you know Chardonnay. And it's like, oh, well, we fortunately have a Berliner Weiss on tap. And uh, Napoleon called that beer the Champagne of the North, and Champagne is mostly uh, uh, Chardonnay grapes. So there's a lot of similar qualities in uh, both an effervescence, but the tartness and the, the flavor profile that you might get from some of those wines and those sour beers. Of course, red wine drinkers, you had something like a Flanders Red uh, would be a great option. And then there are other people where you might have uniquely flavored beers on tap. Like, oh, you know what? Uh, do you like coffee? Well, we have a killer coffee stout on right now that doesn't express these beer qualities that people anticipate, either the bitterness or a yeast character or maybe a malt flavor they don't like, but they get a lot of that uh, chocolate, coffee, toasty kind of notes that they might actually really enjoy. So it's, it's kind of a matter of utilizing um, you know, maybe a taster program or a flight program like we do at the tap, and I know you guys do as well, uh, and just kind of helping your guests along and, and, or a friend and helping them experience some different, different things that, based on what they already know and what they already uh, are familiar with. Yeah, I agree with all that. There's, there is a beer out there for everybody. Uh, we also have a, a coffee stout that's kind of more of a dark, uh, desserty flavored beer. We have a strawberry blonde that's very light and fruity. Um, it, it's, it's, you just have to keep trying. Um, and sooner or later, it's, that, that's the difference between craft beer and big domestic beers. All that domestic beer does taste similar, but when you get into the craft world, um, there's really no end to the different flavors. So you really just, you just have to keep trying it. And I want you guys to meet my mother, like, please. <laughs> it's on our, I've printed on our menus now. It says, like, it, on the opposite side where the wine and cider is. I'm like, not everybody likes beer. Not even the brewer's own mother will drink. She won't. She won't drink my beer. <laughs> she just, uh, yeah. I can't, I can't get her, man. Yeah, I've we, tried everything. I've tried sours. I've tried. I started. My, <laughs> I started my mother with, with brown ale, Steve. You got to get her on that mild. We're tomorrow. You got to get her on that mild that you're making right now. Yeah, my, uh, my mom used to hate company. Them. We've got a beer called the Kirkwood Cream Ale, and everybody has had, you know, the the light beers of America, and this beer is just kind of a small step up from those beers and it's even in a can so it's it's uh, in a can it's got a little more Dude, of that's my go-to earthy... beer like if i'm around if i'm around like town at the bar it's because it's, it's not too hoppy it's not too because the hops give me headaches you can drink anymore. a lot of it which is a plus for some people <laughs> some call it crushable yeah. yeah we we had a uh, ruby bloom amber which is kind of a multi bready amber ale in a wine barrel and uh it was amazing people's response to that because it had that characteristic of wine and uh, we find that, that oaky chardonnays can sometimes um, people love oaky chardonnays and if you age a beer in oak people relate to that oak flavor that's in the beer and can kind of find that transitional uh, quality to a beer where they might not have ever liked a beer before. Yeah, yeah another flavors. example. Um, if you like bourbon um, or you're a whiskey drinker, there's plenty of bourbon barrel aged beers. So uh, bourbon barrel aged imperial stout is notes of chocolate. You get the heat from the bourbon. It's a really completely different experience. Uh, there's also, if you like uh, tequila, or uh, we're, we, right now we're experimenting with uh, tequila barrel aged beer 
we add the lime and salt, so cocktail-inspired beers. So I guarantee that you will find something. Uh, Between these five birds. Well, yeah. we've, got, we've got something you're going to love. There is yeah. absolutely a beer for everybody. So much of it is description as well. You know, a lot of people uh, have in their minds, like, what beer is. Like you were saying, the, that macro brew, everybody kind of tastes the same sort of thing. And, and hearing and words kind of like chocolates, coffee, toffee, raspberry, you know, tart, these are flavors that they're not familiar with and they're used to reading on a bottle of wine or um, a soda even. Some of these beers out there today, you know, taste like you're drinking a, a root beer. You know? Maybe that's <laughs> our own wild. fault, you know, it's like, as describing the beers like mm -hmm. you would, a, you know, a bottle of wine. Right. Obviously, you know? Beer Fest is happening tomorrow. A lot of people are excited for it. Um, can you guys, if someone was going to stop by your table, what beer would you say they have to try before they leave? All of them. The collaboration. Absolutely. Yeah, there will be somebody, I think, walking around. The yeah, we have some, we have some uh, rotating, uh, some people walking guy. around. There may that. even be a bee costume. Yeah, might be involved. Uh, you got to get tickets to Fest if you want to see all the activity. I'd say the Bloomington Brewing Company is kind of coming very hot forward. Uh, we've got several hoppy beers. Uh, we've got our uh, Citra Pale Ale and uh, uh, Rooftop IPA. We've got 10-speed hoppy wheat. So we're very hot forward. But What's the one? What's the one? Yeah, you have to pick one. You can't Come on, Nick, pick your favorite. The pick one. your favorite child. 10-speed hoppy wheat. Okay. It's, a, it's a great beer. Everybody just pick one, and then I'm afraid we're going to be out of time here. Right. Please take your favorite child. Um, our new summer seasonal campsite is really pretty delicious. Say what brewery you're with first, though, so that people oh, know so, when they stop. Oh, sorry, Upland. Jared? I'm gonna go, we're, we're at the tap, and we're going to be pouring Arcane Wanderer, which is a hopless beer. It's a ginger. Uh, what else do we put in there? My goodness, rosemary, all sorts of really interesting things. And a great name. Thank you. <laughs> I'm gonna go have to. Oh, I'm gonna have a function. A function. I have 21 okay. tomorrow. I'm, I'm excited about a lot. I think the Codex. The Codex, my buddy Ding Prudhomme uh, was one of my bartenders. He helped me brew it. It's a Mayan, Mayan chocolate stout. It's got cayenne, cinnamon, vanilla, coconut. Yeah. Yeah, it's delicious. All right. Pop uh, on. If you haven't had Busted Knuckle, come and try it. Uh, we'll have some other beers too, so you can't go wrong. Okay, well, this has been a great show. Thank you so much to all of our guests for being here. Thank you to Yogi's for letting us broadcast live during their lunch hour. For co-hosts, Barbara Brozier, engineers, George Hopstetter and Mike Pashkash, and producers, Ryan DiBattista and Nick Brancic. I'm Sarah Whitmire. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.